You know, we all have different perspectives, don't we? That's actually a good thing when we get together and we study God's Word and we understand we don't all come from the same place. When we see the world around us, there's similarities in what we see, but we all have just a little bit different perspective. How do you see the world around us, immediately around us? Maybe you go to work, you have the boss who has all the stuff. I had a boss for a while, he owned a plane, and he had a Viper that was really cool with racing stripes. You know, that's, that's a perspective. What's my perspective on that as him, as an individual, as, and just the people in that company? Or people that I work with, am I, is my perspective that there's people I need to impress or that I need to show a certain front to? Or, or when I'm looking around in this community, there's people that have some pretty nice houses. And I, my perspective might be, well, they're all set. They're good. They don't need anything. Or maybe I go to some of the places in Austin and there's, there's just lines of tents and shopping carts and What's your perspective there? Is it, to many people, you go and, boy, this is really wrecking our neighborhood. Why are these people doing this, right? It's, we have perspectives. As, as we look at what's happening, as Daisy Lane is being expanded and, and the community is growing really, really fast around us, what's our perspective? Man, all these people coming in, those Californians, I is one. That's perspective. What, and, and our response usually kind of is tied to that perspective. Am I irritated? Am I, what's our perspective of the world around us? Well, I hope this morning that we get challenged in our perspective of how we see the world. Um, so we dig into the passage we're going to see a little bit of Jesus' perspective. We're getting into Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start actually at the end of this chapter, in verse 35. That'll be our main passage. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. As Jesus, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Lord, I pray that you teach us this morning. Teach me this morning in the inner part of my heart not just head knowledge, God, but, but heart knowledge, to know and to believe those things that are true, that are set in your example before us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus was going all throughout the villages, teaching in the synagogues, healing the sick, teaching about the kingdom, the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples were right there along with him, hearing his teaching, watching his response to people, people from every part of society, the, the rich and the poor, the outcasts. And their perspective on the world around them was being challenged. We see that every once in a while throughout scriptures as the disciples just got it all wrong. Jesus is teaching and discipling them as he's bringing them along in what he's doing. Can you think of how Matthew's perspective must have been changing? Remember just a couple of weeks ago, we saw Matthew's own testimony? He was a tax collector. He, he was one of those harassing people. He saw people as an opportunity for personal gain. That's how... He saw that what, we see that in some ways around us. What are the opportunities? If I get to know that person, boy, I'll have a connection into this. We see things. Our perspective is seeing for personal gain as well. But Matthew, the one who was kind of an outcast from his people because he was a traitor to his people. He was collecting taxes for the benefit of Rome. Hated 
But he hung out with quite a crowd of other tax collectors and sinners. I'm sure the opportunities afforded by the world were a big incentive to him, right? But now he's following Jesus, watching what Jesus is doing. And he, he doesn't record nearly as many events as what must have happened. Jesus is going throughout all the, the cities doing healing. And Matthew only records a few things that Jesus did. But we have before this section, and what I skipped, if you were following along from last week, is four different healings where Jesus is meeting with different people, coming from different places. So let's read through that. But think, from the perspective of Matthew, transforming his view of the world around him, his perspective on things, as he's watching Jesus meet these people in their need. So, looking, starting back in verse 18, or is that right? Yes, if I'm on the right page, that makes sense. Verse 18, while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler, an influencer, probably rich. How would Matthew have seen a ruler in the past? Opportunity, he can tax him. Maybe he wants to be like him. He wants to have the things that he has. What's happening here? A ruler came in and knelt before Jesus saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Wow. What's Matthew seeing now? This ruler on his knees before Jesus, actually believing that his daughter who has died can be made alive by Christ. This is something that Matthew's going to see over and over again. People coming to Jesus and believing that Jesus can heal them, that he can do miraculous works, that he can even raise the dead. And what's Jesus' response to this ruler? I'm sure this ruler wasn't perfect. I'm sure this ruler loved money. Jesus gets up to follow him. It says in verse 19, Jesus arose and followed him with his disciples. Now behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him, behind Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. How would Matthew have viewed this woman in the past? 12 years means she was probably an outcast, unclean among the people of Israel, unable probably to have a good job or, or a means of income. Who knows? But Matthew probably would not have seen her as someone respectable. He's not going to gain much from her probably. More like an outcast. But what does he see now? She is reaching out to touch Jesus' garment, thinking, if I can only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Matthew's gaining a whole new perspective. Jesus responding to faith in this dear woman. Healing. And then Jesus comes to the ruler's house. He saw flute players and the crowd making a commotion. They would hire, not a band, they would hire mourners and flute players to come and make a commotion when someone died. That was to, to, to just go overboard with mourning. That was a display of mourning. So they hired in these flute players. And Jesus said, go home. Why? He said, in verse 24, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. What's Jesus doing here? Completely changing our perspective on death. We don't mourn. Those who believe in Jesus Christ don't have to mourn when someone dies because he who believes in me will never die, right? We don't need to hire in a, a big group to just to just wail and, and, and make a big commotion. No, go home. This is a whole new perspective. As Matthew is going, 
wait, what's going on here? And they're laughing at him. But no, this is something incredibly different that's going to change now because of Jesus. Verse 25, And when the crowd had been put aside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? The all-important question, do you have faith in Christ? They said to him, Yes, Lord. And he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. Blind men. What Matthew's perspective had to be changing. Verse 30. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See, that no one knows about it. It's never worked. He would tell people, Don't tell anyone. But they went away and spread his fame throughout all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. A mute man. He's not able to express faith in Jesus. How's that going to work? Jesus knows the heart. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. (laughs) Crowds marveled, saying, never is anything like this seen in Israel, but the Pharisee said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. What were they lacking? Belief. Jesus later on, we're going to get to it another week, is going to address not just their disbelief, but them saying, well, this must be by Satan that he's casting out demons. A whole new perspective. Jesus seeing the crowds and their belief responded with compassion. Something Matthew probably had not responded with ever before in his life as a tax collector. What does Jesus say? Or what does it say about Jesus? Verse 36, when the crowds, when he saw the crowds, not the Pharisees, he saw the crowds, those who were responding with such faith, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What was Jesus' perspective? Sheep without a shepherd. What are sheep without a shepherd? We, we don't really tend sheep much. Actually, there's a, a guy up there. He, the shepherd who has a car. It's different now. Sheep without a shepherd. It's not the first time this metaphor has been used. Throughout the Old Testament, shepherd and sheep is a metaphor that's used. We see as, as Moses is there with the people of Israel. They're about to enter the promised land. Moses knows he's not going with them. He goes, God, you've got to have someone to take my place because they're going to be like sheep without a shepherd. No one to guide them. When to go out, when to come in. No one to care for them. That's when, when God raises up Joshua to be that shepherd, right, to the people of Israel. King David, writing this psalm, he sees the Lord God, Yahweh, as his shepherd. Boy, you guys, if you don't know Psalm 23, learn it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because a good shepherd, the shepherd, Yahweh, God, takes care of our needs. I shall not want. He is my shepherd, David says. He leads me. See, shepherds lead the sheep. He leads me beside still waters. I don't know it by heart, nourishes my soul down paths of righteousness for his name's sake, his purpose, his leading, his guidance. He is the good shepherd, Yahweh. That's what, that's what David said. That whole psalm is incredible. I don't have time to go through it. It's actually in the slides, but I don't have time. Go through it, Psalm 23. 
in Ezekiel. This is more than 500 years before Jesus is, is there. And God, through the prophet Ezekiel, is passing judgment on the shepherds of Israel. Those who are supposed to be leading, caring, taking care of people of Israel. And it's looking forward to this time. Who are the shepherds that are failing? It's those Pharisees who are saying, no, Jesus does this. Casting out demons by the power of Satan. That's what, it's, that's what it is. They're, they're the false shepherds. And, and in Ezekiel, God says, you shepherds, you're not taking care of the sheep. You're taking care of yourselves. You're not being good shepherds. And then God says what he's going to do. Let's look. Ezekiel 34. In verse 22. God says through the prophet Ezekiel, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. There's a future judgment. still hasn't happened yet. But God is the one who's going to judge. Who are my sheep? Who are actually my sheep? Certainly those Pharisees were not actually his sheep. Some shocking words he has for them in John chapter 10 where he says, the reason you don't believe in me is because you're not my sheep. He knows who his sheep are. And I will set up over them one shepherd my servant David. Who's he talking about, my servant David? We've been going through Matthew. Matthew's been saying, look who the, the eternal reigning King David is. It's Jesus, the line of David, fulfilling the promise. My servant David being spoken of here, the shepherd, the one shepherd, that's Jesus. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, Jesus, shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Later in, in chapter 37, he says, my servant David will be king over them. King over them. Prince among them. Shepherd of them. Jesus. What's going on here? The shepherd is there among the sheep that haven't been cared for. He says, what do I see? Sheep without a shepherd. Harassed and helpless. Matthew's witnessing this. The Spirit of God is revealing to Matthew Jesus' perspective of what's around him. The good shepherd there having compassion as he sees things as they truly are. Back in verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Here's the first point that should guide our perspective, to match our perspective to Jesus. People are harassed and helpless. We don't see it that way. In all of the things that I described earlier, what's your perspective? That, that the words or the thoughts about harass, they're, they're harassed and helpless, it's not how we normally see it. We're trying to survive here. We don't see them as harassed and helpless. Harassed with what? What was Jesus seeing? Illness, disease, demonic possession. Harassed by their own sin. Harassed by the weight of the requirements put on by the, the bad shepherds, the ones that were not doing their job, were just piling on weight on top of everything. And what was Jesus doing in the midst? He was healing the illness and disease. He was the good shepherd, being the good shepherd, casting out demons, forgiving sin, speaking truth in life, guiding. 
harassed and helpless, unable to help themselves, like sheep without a shepherd, without direction, without care, not having someone over them who was guiding, directing, caring. But now Jesus was among them, and he was bringing that, the good shepherd. Do we see the world around us through Jesus' eyes? People. That, that person who looks like they're doing well. They're in the, they got the big house. They got a family. They, do we see that really, in truth, they are harassed? And if they don't know Jesus, they are helpless. Do we see that? Do we see the homeless person making a mess in our city as someone who is harassed? Helpless, unable to help themselves, without guidance, without care. Do we see our co-workers, our boss, as people? If they don't know Jesus, that they are harassed and helpless to help themselves. How do we see ourselves? If you have Christ, yes, you may still be harassed, but you are not helpless. Don't pity yourself. Don't feel sorry for yourself. You have the glory of, of the Savior, of the Good Shepherd there walking with you. Go read Psalm 23 and believe it and know it. It is true. You are not helpless because you have the Good Shepherd in your life. And it doesn't matter. What does it say in Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear. Why? Because you, the Good Shepherd, are with me. What's our perspective? Do we see things as they truly are? If I'm seeing the world around me as it truly is, people who don't have the same political views as I do, people who would use the word science different than I do, there, is that going to stir anything up? If I'm truly seeing as Jesus does, then it's not going to result in a spirit of judgment, but a spirit of compassion. I could just end right here. I can't say, looking back on the last year or two, that I have had Jesus' compassion for people. Everyone that I would see the people and say, these are people helpless, lost, without a shepherd. And then to feel in my heart compassion. I could just stop right there. Sermon done. I need to go work this out with you, Lord. Am I truly seeing the world around me as Jesus sees it? Well, then Jesus speaks, and we have a change of metaphor. No longer sheep and shepherd, but we have harvest and worker. Verse 37, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is plentiful. It's huge. And there's not very many people to go work in the harvest. He's seeing people as that harvest, if you didn't catch that. It's a metaphor. And the workers are few. I can tell you, when I just consider Kyle, it can get overwhelming. It can get discouraging even. Look at this chart. I think we got the chart in there. Here's from year 2000 to now, the population in Kyle. We went from 5,000 people in year 2000. And this is from one source that's pulling from a bunch of census data and whatnot. Over 50,000 now. And, and another source, Elizabeth was telling me, mentioned it. it we might be closer to 60,000 at this point. What can our little church do 
It's growing faster than we are. Here's what's, what we're seeing. The harvest is huge. The workers are few. And, and, and we can get overwhelmed by it. What do we do? And we, we try, try to think, okay, we've we got to do something different. What? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. As we see this, as we look around and we see houses being built, as we see Elon Musk bringing in a big factory that's going to add 5,000 jobs, and then we know that all of the different suppliers to that are going to be coming in, and they're going to be adding jobs. That means a whole lot more people. The prices of our house is going up, which is great if you own a house. If you're trying to buy a house, good luck in Kyle. Nothing stays on the market, right? So our, our perspective, as we start to think, okay, maybe I, I have started to look at the world around me through Jesus' eyes, and, and I see people helpless, and, and I'm starting to feel the compassion of Christ, but what do I do? What can I do? There's another part of this perspective that we need to have, this Christ perspective. He sees the same chart we see. He sees the same community that we see. But notice the words there. We're going to go back in this again. But, but notice the words towards the end of this. As Jesus is speaking to his disciples, he says, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The Lord of the harvest. His harvest. Here's something we need to understand in perspective. Second point. The harvest belongs. To God. It's His harvest, His field. His workers, he's, he's sending out to His harvest. He sees it. Matthew's been seeing just the plentiful return of Christ going throughout the fields, returning a great harvest. As more people put their faith in Him, that's the harvest. That's reaping the harvest. People turning to Christ and, and trusting Him in faith. But it's His harvest. You know, I think there were moments in Paul's life that he was overwhelmed. After Jesus died on the cross, was raised a new life, the gospel, the good news, the new covenant of His blood that we have, a new agreement with God. We talked about that. And he's going throughout the Gentiles, preaching the gospel. There was some rough times. There was a time he was, where through a vision, he go up to Philippi, right? And, and he goes over there, and there's great fruit in Philippi, and then he goes down to Thessalonica, and he's only there for a short time. The gospel re returns uh, people believing in Christ, but, but then persecution comes. Paul's life is at risk, and he said, get out of here. So Paul then, after only a short time in Thessalonica, goes from there down to Berea. And he's only able to spend a short time there. There is fruit for the gospel, but he's got to move because his life is at stake. Get him in a boat. Take him down. He ends up in Athens. But he's still worried about, I was hardly there in Thessalonica. Are those believers are able to stand against persecution? Overwhelmed by the immensity of it all, I'm sure. He's human. There in Athens, as he's waiting for word back, he, he's, he said, send me Timothy and Silas. I'm not, I need them here, and I need to get a report of what's happening up there, right? He's concerned. And as he's waiting there in Athens, he sees all of these idols, and he shares the gospel there too. But there's only a few that respond. For the most part, he's ridiculed for it. And then he goes from there, walks over to Corinth, and he tries to teach in the synagogues, gets no response, and he goes to some of the Gentiles, he gets some response there. I can't imagine Paul seeing the immensity of the field, the harvest, and feeling the weight. 
that in truth the workers are few. It's there in Corinth that Jesus appears to him in a vision. Let's look at what Jesus said there. In Acts chapter 18, verse 9. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, You there in Corinth, Paul, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. He's saying, that's my harvest. My people are there. I want you to go on speaking because I am going to reap my harvest, my people. The harvest belongs to God. And as we see the 50,000 that is Kyle, as we see this community growing, we need to know the harvest belongs to God. He knows those who are His. Do not fear. Keep speaking. I am with you. Back in Matthew 9. Said to the disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Assuming my perspective is matching better Jesus' perspective of what's going on around me. That I see people harassed and helpless without a shepherd, their need for Christ. That I understand that this isn't my harvest. This is his harvest. Kyle is part of his harvest. The United States is just a part of his harvest. The world contains his harvest. Then what do I do? What's the call to action by Jesus? The first call to action is right there in verse 38. Pray earnestly. Or in the Greek, you could translate it, beg. Earnestly pray. Father, Lord of the harvest, raise up and send workers, your workers into your harvest. Pray earnestly and speak openly. There's our final point. If I look back on the last few years, well, we've lived here in Kyle eight and a half years, almost nine. Can I say that I have spent that time praying earnestly that God would send workers into his harvest. I haven't even seen the town through his eyes during that time. I can't say that my perspective has been a people harassed and helpless in desperate need of the good shepherd of Jesus Christ. If I don't have that perspective, how can I be earnestly begging God to raise up workers and send them into his harvest if my perspective isn't even right? No. Years from now, Five years from now, I don't know, will, will Kyle have 100,000 people? Very easily it could. I've seen that kind of growth before in other places. has all the ingredients for it. Will I have in that time prayed earnestly that God would raise up workers to send out into his harvest? And then as Jesus told Paul, as Paul is faced there with the enormity of the harvest that's around him, and such meager resources to reach and to work the harvest, 
Jesus says, go on speaking. Don't stop. Don't fear. In five years, will I be able to say that I went on speaking? And to speak openly. Later on, Paul writes a letter back to Corinth. He writes a couple letters. Actually, he writes three that we know of, and we only have two. Whole other topic. In the second one, he talks about how he spoke openly. Look with me. Second Corinthians. I think this is critically important for us today, in the church today, to understand how it is that God would have us speak without fear. Second Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This is right after Paul has described the glory of what we have to share. He says, in, back in chapter 3, he said, when the law, right, the letter was given to Moses, the, re, the result was that Moses' face was shining so bright they had to put a bag over his head. They couldn't take it, right? The glory that came with the written law was so great. And Paul says, how much greater the glory that comes with the new covenant that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what we have to share and so he says in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to participate, to, to practice, sorry, cunning, or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. What he's saying is we're not going to try to manipulate people into the kingdom. We're not going to try to, to do anything less than speak the absolute open statement of truth because what we hold is glory. It's light and darkness. It is beautiful and it is to those who are his sheep. They will turn and believe. Right? Later on he says, to those who are veiled from it, they're veiled because of unbelief right? Those are the ones perishing. They don't get it. But speak. Don't fear. It is so hard. It's something to be a pastor. And, and it's almost like I get an easy pass because my job here is to speak God's word, right? But I spent years in the workplace. It's not so easy when, when you have all those different nuances of relationship, right? And, and, and it can be very daunting to simply speak openly. This is the hope I have. It's a glory beyond measure. This is why there's a smile on my face. This is why I, I have hope. This is why my life is different than yours. It's because of Jesus. And to just speak openly and plainly the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. It can somehow, sometimes seem so overwhelming to just articulate the gospel. You're like, well, I know it, and it's simple. Jesus died for my sin. I have hope in Him. I put my faith in Him. And he saved me from my sin. I've got, I've got the hope of eternal life because of what Jesus did on the cross. I can say it a bunch of different ways. My life is different. It's new. I'm no longer condemned by my sin. But what do we find in the moment? It's not just a physical, mental exercise to express the gospel. It's a spiritual exercise. And you can find words just don't come out right, they, they seem wrong, don't fear. God is with you. Just share your testimony. Share your hope. So don't hide it. Openly. Pray earnestly. Speak openly. Following this in chapter 4, is one of the most beautiful pictures of the glory of Jesus Christ that we carry in jars of clay. It's worth carrying to the cross as Jesus did. It's worth carrying into suffering and pain and our, our own uh, demise, physical demise, but, but it is the glory of Christ. And we are jars of clay to show 
just the glory of this hope that we have in Him, the light in the face of Jesus Christ, that needs to be what we're doing. We're praying earnestly and we're speaking openly of the glory that we have in the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. You don't have to have a three-point sermon. You don't have to know all the Scripture. Just be open with the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And don't fear, because He is with you. How do we see the world around us? What is our perspective? There's a video I made a little while ago. You can go ahead and show that video. This is from my neighborhood to the church, right? As we see places that people gather, as we see neighbors, boy, I got all sorts of different neighbors. There, my house is on the right coming up, right uh, there. Yeah, there's my house. Do we see our neighborhood with his perspective? Look, man, new houses coming in right there, right? If I look across, though, to the left, across that field of many, many houses coming in, that's where God has planted us as a church, right? In the middle of that. Do I see that? A light in this community. God has a purpose here. His harvest, not mine. His harvest is here. He has people. He plans to reach. And we need to continue going on speaking boldly. As we see places that, that, where people gather. Coming up here. Great raspas on the right. They're a little bit expensive, but, but go there, right there. Great place to get raspas, right? That's where people gather. Do you see that as a place? Brianna's taco place, right there. People gather there, especially every Friday night. What do you see when you see the community around you? Do you see a harvest that is the Lord's as this place grows, right? What is your perspective? That's a great place to get ice, by the way. And people gather there. People. Every time you, you drive by here in the afternoon, over on the right, people picking up their kids from a daycare. Right? There's a daycare right there. Those are people. Potentially part of His harvest. We need to go on speaking. Come up the hill. The gas station, right? There's people there. People gathered there. Are you praying as you go through? Boy, I've been challenged to pray as I drive through communities. Up here, as it backs up way back further than this because people are picking up their kids. Am I seeing a harvest of cars of people with people in them, right? Or am I just annoyed at the delay? This is only one tiny piece of this community God has put us in. It's a harvest. Boy, Daisy Lane, they're tearing up. It's a whole lot further even now than it was. This wasn't that long ago I took the video. That's a, that's a road people are coming in on. When the Romans took over, they built roads. Those were roads that God ordained to be used for the gospel to go, right? God's purpose here. He has a harvest that He's working on. God gave us property right there for a purpose. Not to go make something out of Hope Church. We could build something, call it Hope Church, make Hope Church great. No. He's the good shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And this is His harvest. He is strategizing for. He is guiding us to what is our perspective as we see the world around us, as we see this town around us? We need to pray earnestly, and we need to speak openly. Let's stand and sing. You're the God of this city. You're the king of these people, and you're the lord of this nation. You are, 
You're the light in this darkness You're the hope to the hopeless You're the peace to the restless You are There is no one like our God There is no one like you, God Greater things have yet to come Greater things are still to be done in this city Greater things have yet to come Greater things are still to be done in this city Of all kings, you are. You're the strength in my weakness. You're the love to the broken. You're the joy in the sadness. You are. There is no one like our God. There is no one like. You got greater things yet to come, greater things are still to be done in this city. Yeah. Greater things have yet to come, greater things are still to be done in this city. Greater things have yet to come Greater things still to be done in this city Greater things have yet to come Greater things are still to be done here Still to be done here to be done here still to be done here there is no one like our God sing it out there is no one like you God there is no one like our God. Oh, there is no one like you, God. There is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. There is no one like you, God. Oh, there is no one like our God. There is no one like you, God. Greater things have yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. Yeah. Greater things have yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. Yeah. Greater things have yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. Greater things have yet to come. Greater things are still to be done here. Still to be done here. to be done here still to be done here 
Lord Jesus, we believe you're not done yet. That there is a great harvest still left in this city that hasn't been reached yet. And God, we pray, Father, we pray, raise up workers for your harvest here among us. Let us be workers for your harvest. Guide us into that. Embolden us to speak openly, to be your hands and feet. And God, as we speak of the gospel, the testimony of what we have in you, the glory that we have in you, Lord Jesus Christ, what you said, God, is that it's not our words that people hear, but your sheep. Your sheep hear your voice. And you know them, and they follow you. Just like we have, God. That's what we're trusting. Is that as we follow you in faith, as we go on speaking and we don't stop, the people will hear your voice. Your sheep will hear your voice. They will turn to you. God, thank you that you've included sheep beyond the fold of those that are Israel. That you said, I have sheep outside of that fold. And I must gather them in. God, that's us here, and that's Kyle, sheep outside the fold of Israel, that you said you have sheep there, and you, you must gather them in, and that when they hear your voice, God, they will listen to you, and they will follow you. That's what we trust, Lord. Use us as your workers. Embolden us. Give us courage to speak and not be silent. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.